let's begin this evening, if you would, by turning over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 25, he said, Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no question for conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to feast, and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat, asking no questions for conscience' sake. But if any man say unto you, This is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other, for why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? We're not going to go in depth on this passage this evening. Uh, it isn't my, uh, my intent this evening to talk about the different meats offered to idols and things like that. Briefly going through this, what he says, for, I mean, there was going to be a lot of people, a lot of folks who had, had for so many years been under strict dietary laws and here under this law of liberty. He said, relax a little, I mean, in essence. Whenever you go to the shambles, that would be like the market. Uh, and he said, uh, whatever is sold there, you go to get it. He said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about what type of meat this is or what's been done with it previously, if it's been sacrificed in some type of, of heathen sacrifice. He said, you can take that in good conscience. You can eat that. He said, if someone who is, is of another religion or a Gentile invites you in, he said, don't worry about what they put on the table if it's come from one of these, uh, one of these rituals or things like that. It, he said, if you want to eat that, if you want to go, go eat that and don't worry about it. He said, but if you sit down at the table and someone else there says, you know, this was offered uh, to idols at some point and it's bothering their conscience to eat it and will bother their conscience to watch you eat it. He said, abstain from that. That's all right. Do it for their conscience sake. It may not affect your conscience, but do it so that you don't offend their conscience. And at the very end, I like it. He's been, he's been talking about making sure that we're aware of other people's conscience decisions there. And he says, but at the end of the day, we also ourselves, maybe if we're the one who's offended by it, need to make sure not to tread on other people's conscience. I go through all of that to simply say there are matters of the conscience. There really are. There's a lot of liberty inside of Christ and there are different uh, discernments that we all are going to have to make in our homes and as, as individuals inside of Christ. Some, some of these things like what he began with in, in the passage of the context here, he said all things are lawful for me but not all things are expedient to me. And so there are things that might be lawful, but it may not be the best route to go at times. Or, or to some people like these who had for many years not eaten of, or abstained from these type of meats, he said there's going to be matters of conscience. You know, there's some people who've lived maybe their entire life by their conscience. Uh, you look back during the time of Judges, Judges 17, starting in verse 6, he said, in those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. It doesn't mean that there wasn't a law at the time. But what people were doing is they were living by the conscience in their life. I don't know how well that worked out for them. We see towards the end of Judges what they wanted to do is forsake the king they did have, which was in heaven, so that they could have a man king. And there were some people in the meantime who did some very evil things. You know, we live in a world today that is run by conscience. I really believe it is. Uh, the different things that are taught to our children and maybe to ourselves as we're in school, follow your heart. Follow your dreams as people make tough decisions in life. We're instructed to just, what does your heart tell you to do? It won't lead you astray. Just, just do what you think is best. Your heart, let your heart lead the way. How often do you hear that? Consistently, I imagine. 
We're in a world that says, follow your heart. And, and for a Christian or for a child of God, I think it's worthwhile to stop and, and ask ourselves, can I really trust my heart? Can I really follow it in all the matters of life? There is no doubt there are instances where we should or we can, I guess, follow our, our conscience or our heart. But is it a good idea? We're given a warning in Proverbs 28, verse 26. He says, He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool, but whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. And that's pretty harsh words. You trust your heart, you're a fool. Not me, that's the Lord. If I trust my heart, he said, it's foolish. He used a compare and contrast here. To walk wisely, he doesn't have to say that it's the people who don't trust their heart. That's that's the opposite of what he said there at the beginning. So, in that sense, if you trust your heart, he said, it's a foolish thing. But if you don't trust your heart, he says, that's a wise thing. And you'll find deliverance in that. Why can't I completely trust my heart? Why is it a dangerous? Why is it a foolish thing? And I think a lot of us, we want to, you know, I like to believe about myself that I have a well-trained heart. You know, some people have a well-trained dog. And that may sound like a bad comparison there. And I don't mean to be insulting but you get the pictures that sometimes we have a lot of confidence in something that is well-trained, and it doesn't always do what it's trained to do. And our, our heart is no different in that sense as all the training and work we put into it, it is still unpredictable at times. You know, one of the things I wouldn't claim, and I guarantee you wouldn't either, is that you know everything that there is to know, all the nuances, all the laws, all the right and wrongs about serving God. We're in constant search of how to be good servants, right? Constant search of how to continue walking in the light. And one of the ways that we, our heart can fail us is we just don't have knowledge sometimes. That's, that's definitely one of the re- ways that our heart lets us down. So this warning is a genuine warning. Proverbs 5 and 23 says, He shall die without instruction in the greatness of his folly. He shall go astray. He's talked about a man who is, uh, he's taken in the cords of his sinfulness or he's bound up in a sinful lifestyle. And that certainly is how my sin feels sometimes. Don't you feel that way? feel like sometimes I'm just overtaken, uh, that something just has me, just has me. And, and I feel like every time I feel like I'm going to slip out of the grasp of, uh, of my problem, that it just sucks me back in and pulls me back down. That is the nature of sin. And the only solution to that is instruction. So many times we hunker down in our life and we try to solve our problems ourselves. I will power through this. I will drive through this. I will, I will, I will you know, just will myself to overcome this. And the Bible says you can't do this on your own. You have to have instruction. From the time we're small, we need instruction. Not any one of us parents would tell our children whenever they're little bitty kids, good luck in life. Close the door and say, you'll get it. They need instruction from the time that they're small. And that doesn't change when we're adults, even even the most wise of us. We need someone sometimes to pull us aside and say, this is the right way. And we should never forget that. Sometimes it's not that our heart is just dumb or or foolish or, or just awful. Just sometimes we just don't know. That's just the fact of the matter. You know, Israel, you faced a situation like that. For whatever reason, they just didn't know what to do in some things. You remember uh, in Chronicles, 
uh, in chapter 13, we're going to read about this Ark of the Covenant. And for years, it had been taken under the time of Saul, had been uh, passed around from place to place, had come to rest in a barn, and had sat there for a number of years collecting dust. And we're going to read about them deciding whether or not they should go get that Ark of the Covenant. In 1 Corinthians 13, 1-4, David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said to all the congregation of Israel, If it seem good unto you, and that it be of our Lord God, let us send abroad unto the brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also to the priests and Levites, which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us, and let us bring again the Ark of our God to to us, for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. And all the congregation said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. They took a poll, essentially, didn't they? I mean, why wouldn't you want to go get this Ark of the Covenant? You remember what it did? I mean, whenever they were in the wilderness and wandering, I mean, essentially, that thing in the tabernacle and the smoke they led around, the the mercy seat, the forgiveness of sins, the, the, the interaction with God there. It was a symbol that went before them in battles. And whenever it was gone, it was like they knew. They knew that he wasn't with them in these battles. And David says, you know what? We probably ought to go get this thing. What do you think? They took a poll. Don't we do that whenever we're not quite sure what to do in life? We look around and we say, what do you think? And what do you think? And what do you think? And you know what people tell us? Well, I think. Well, I think. Well, I think. Sometimes that's about all we can do, say, I think. How reliable is the knowledge that they're passing back to us as we take those polls? I mean, you've got a whole nation here. Think about it. You, you don't just have the uneducated people in the kingdom, I guess. And I don't want to be disparaging to any of them. I'm just saying you had all the leaders. You had thousands and hundreds of people. The captains, these smart, you know, strategists and things like that. They're all gathered together. All the priests are involved in this. The priests and the Levites. Is this a good thing? The people who should know God's will, right? These are the religious people. These are the educated ones and what God wants for his people. And they all said, let's do it. Let's do it. It'll be a great thing. And you remember they went to get it? They went to get it. And they, they found it there in that barn, and they put it on that brand new cart, and they hooked those oxen up to it, because I imagine it was heavy. It's a heavy bird. It's made of gold, folks. And uh, I don't like to carry heavy things. I was talking to Brother Robertson. I don't even like to run, much less carry things. I dragged a, a deer, you know, about 20 yards uh, that my father-in-law shot earlier this winter, and I was huffing and puffing. This is a big gold uh, a piece here. So they put it on the cart. They pulled it with the oxen. They're singing and they're dancing and they're celebrating. You remember that they went over that threshing floor and that it was a little bit uneven and that cart starts to rock and this precious artifact, this this thing that is such a symbol of such greatness and hope to Israel, it starts to fall and a man reaches up to preserve it and in the moment that he touches it, God strikes him dead. (laughs) Talk about a sobering event. Not just a sobering event, a scary event. You know, David even seemed a little bit upset at the Lord. Why would you do this? We, we consulted with everyone. We thought this was, would be a good thing, that you would like this, that we went and got this ark instead of just letting it waste away in some barn. What's the problem here? And here's what God answered to him. There in 1 Chronicles 15 and verse 13, he said, For because ye did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we sought him not after a due order. You know, God has a due order in life. Not, not just with things like carrying this ark, though he had a due order with the ark. 
they should have known how to carry this thing. There were rings in the side of it, and they should have put this big, long rod through it, and the Levites would have to go through a purification process. And then they themselves, the Levites alone, would carry that thing on their shoulders, and that's how it needed to be transported. And they should have known. They asked all people, they asked all the right questions, potentially asked the right questions, but they didn't get the right answers. Sometimes the heart doesn't know if it's not informed. And we make bad decisions that impact our life and impact the life of others. It was David's call, and whenever he didn't know, and it was the people's call, and whenever they didn't know, a man's life was what was sacrificed at the end of that. And I'll tell you, when we make uninformed decisions because we follow our heart, when we make uninformed decisions because we don't go consult with the Lord about what the due order is for our life, for our family, for ourself, something is at stake. It's dangerous, it's foolish to follow our heart, to follow our heart alone. Just because we think it's right. We need to know what God's way is. You know, more than that, I, I... we might be very educated, but we might work very hard to keep our, our heart in line, so to speak. But the heart is, is a, it's a fickle beast. In fact, there's a line in here that kind of scares me a little bit. In Jeremiah 17, he talks about the heart being desperately wicked. He said the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Do you ever think about your heart as being desperately wicked? I don't we talked last night about people being hardened to the point we think about the, the hardened criminals. Uh, deceitful above all else. I, I don't know, there's different cultures that they have, they have myths and stories about creatures like coyotes and things like that, how they're the most tricky. The Bible says that the serpent, he was the most subtle of all the beasts, right? They're at the beginning of the scriptures. I think about a lot of things that are deceitful, but not often do I think about the thing that I trust so much and depend on as being something that is deceitful above all else. And he's not talking about just one man's heart or one woman's heart. He's talking about your heart. You ever been tricked by your heart? I have. Things that you think you want that you really didn't need, things that you thought you wanted so bad. Maybe as a child, you know, there might be something that you think that you wanted and you pray for those things and you desire those things and and before you go to bed at night, you say, God, if you'll just give me this. I mean, it's simple things like that at times where our heart tells us, we need this. If I just had this, I'd be happy. You know, sometimes I think about young love or things like that or the people who we thought we might end up with, some of us. And And it didn't turn out that way, and and it works out so wonderful so many times. The heart can trick us into thinking things are wonderful that are not. James 1 and 14 puts it this way. He says, Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You know what you and I each have, each and every one of us, is we have desires in us. You do, I do. Maybe it has something that has to do with the lust of the flesh. Maybe it has something to do with the lust of the eyes. Maybe it has to do with something about the pride of life. But there is something in you that calls to you. And each and every day, you get up and you wage a war against it, don't you? A war of the spirit and the flesh inside of you, tearing at your members. Something that you've battled with all your life. Maybe something new that you've just started battling with. Maybe something you've put to bed, though, that you can think about. But we each and every one of us have something inside of us, a desire that isn't good for us. And we have to work hard, right? 
for the spirit to be able to supplant the flesh. That's why the heart is desperately wicked, because it wants things that we shouldn't have. I think about guys like Isaiah. Guys might be an understatement of it. Isaiah became a king when he was 16 years old. He reigned for over 50 years. I think it was like 52 years. I could be wrong, which is a pretty long time to reign. He did great things during the time of his reign. And, and what the Bible says about him for the majority of it is that he was a good king. You know, they had good kings and bad kings. And it seems like Isaiah went through his life and, and he, was, he was pretty good inside of his life. But, you know, there were things about him that, uh, that were hindered because of things that he wanted. And Second Chronicles 2 and verse 26 says... And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father uh, Amaziah did. You stop right there. I mean, that's a pretty strong statement. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father did. And, and you know, I, I don't know if I can sit there and think about my life and, and think, well, I've consistently been this my life. I, I can't say I've consistently done what is right inside the Lord, but you could say that about Isaiah. And he had a reputation. He was a mighty man. But at one point in his life, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, the Bible says. And he transgressed against the Lord his God. And he went in the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. And Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him fourscore priests of the Lord that were valiant men. And they withstood Isaiah the king. And they said to him, appertaineth not unto the Isaiah to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests of the sons of Aaron that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed, neither shall it be to thine honor from the Lord God. He was warned and he was told, you know what happens to us sometimes, no matter how we've lived our life, is we can get to a point where we just get something in our head or in our heart that we won't shake or we can't shake. And people might tell us it's not the right thing. We don't need to do it, but you know what? We're bullheaded and we're going to do it anyways. That's what happened with him, right? Anyone ever told you you might be hard-headed? Hopefully not. Maybe that's just me. Some of us are hard-headed. Some of us, you, we, we call it learning the hard way. Isaiah's lived a good long life before the Lord, and here he's going, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to listen to the ones who are willing to tell the truth. I'm not going to listen to the ones who know the law. Uh, the passage that I, I skipped over here, there in Ephesians chapter 4, he said, and we read it last night, this I say therefore and testify to the Lord, that ye henceforth walk, not as though the Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. There comes a point whenever we allow our heart to lead us and our heart to lead us and our heart to lead us and we give it what it wants, that we stop thinking about what's right and we're just convinced that it is right. Even if we'd known for a long time that it is right. And I don't know if Isaiah fought those feelings. I don't know if he knew at one point that what the priest was saying was right, that he didn't need to be there. Obviously, he hadn't been trying to burn incense for 50 years, I would guess. Hadn't made that mistake. I don't know if that was in his heart and what was calling to him and that one day, finally, his heart won over. If we're not careful with our heart, it'll trick us to the point that the things that we knew were wrong at one point will suddenly be the only thing that seems right. I was talking to a friend, a friend from my childhood, about his marriage a while back. And he had an affair. But he didn't want to have an affair. But he'd got into drugs. He got into drugs and the things that were logical weren't so logical anymore. 
You know, the, the ones that he loved, a wife and his two little girls, they, they went into the background. The things he knew were right and the things that he knew were true and the things that he knew were good in his life, he threw them aside because his heart wanted something that wasn't good for him. And it dominated his life. And I heard from a few months ago, and he's in a program, he don't have his family no more. He lost everything too. And that can happen to you and it can happen to me if we don't guard our heart with all diligence, if we don't keep a watchful eye over that tricky thing that beats inside of our chest, if we don't fill our mind with those words from God, our heart will betray us and it'll destroy us. We can lose a lifetime of good in moments sometimes if we just follow our heart that hasn't been crafted by God. Brothers and sisters, it's foolish to trust your heart. Instead, we need to trust in what we know is always true and what is always right. Proverbs 16, verse 1, he says, The preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Commit your works to the Lord, or thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Those inner workings of the plans that we make or, or the things that we set out to do, it's got to come from the Lord. If there's going to be anything productive that comes out of our heart and out of our mouth, it's got to be from God. That's the only way we're ever going to be able to make in life. Every step that we take, it needs to be directed by Him. All of our ways seem to be clean. You ever feel like you're right? I do. That's why I do what I do. Because I feel like I'm right. And that's why you do it too. You make these plans. You think about things inside of yourself. And there's sometimes, because we thought about it enough, it just always seems right. That's why other people look like they're doing crazy things, but not us, ever. Because <laughs> I'm not the crazy one, right? But folks, even if our ways are clean and right in our own eyes, we need to make sure that they're right in God's eyes, in God's ways, in His Word. It has to be established there. We need to make a, 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 a decision. We need to make sure that it is our decision each and every day that we're going to get up and not follow anyone, anything, even the thing beating inside of our chest. We're going to get up and we're going to decide to follow God and let Him prepare our heart and let Him prepare our lips and let Him guide our life. And maybe sometimes we have to start over with a clean slate. This was a premise of last night's study. I'll mention it just briefly in, in a little bit different way. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be proved what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know what? We, we collect baggage. That's what we call it, emotional baggage or life baggage. From all the different experiences that we go through, sometimes it might be different doctrines that we've heard before. Sometimes it, it may be different relationship techniques. I don't know what it is, but we, we collect these different ideas about life as we go through life. And sometimes we have to hit a reset button on them. I was studying with some folks here a while back in Missouri, and great people, we sit down and we start talking about the Scriptures, and I would say, well, well here's, here's what the Bible says about salvation and she'd go, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's not what I heard growing up. And, and I'd say, well, here's what the Bible says. And she'd sit back and go, okay. And then we get into another discussion. We talk about, you know, the garden, about the trees being taken up. And she'd say, wait a minute, that's not what I heard. It. I'm telling you, all through it for, for a couple months. Wait a minute, that's not what I heard. And you know what, we kept going back to the scripture and she'd go, 
oh, okay. You know, she was pretty neat, though, and they're a, hoot to, they're a hoot to study with, and I still study with them. What's so interesting is all this baggage and all this thought process, the woman gave herself over to go, I may have heard something before, but if I read it from the Word of God, okay, we're done. <laughs> I've never seen anyone quite that way before. Just, she's willing to just blank the slate so quickly, and sometimes we're just hard-pressed to just let go of the things that we thought we knew. Sometimes we just need to start fresh. Be transformed with the renewing of our mind, right? As newborn babes desiring that sincere milk of the word. Now that's one of the ways that we can prepare our heart and guard it. Just try to erase some of the things that are there or, or replace it or, or at the very least embrace what we see from the word of God when it contradicts what mama said or what I thought or what the preacher said or anything like that. Let's just start fresh sometimes. And you know what? That's a good way for us to start guarding our heart and following God instead of it. In Psalms 119 and verse 80, he says, let my heart be sound in thy statutes that I be not ashamed. We need to become strong in the words of God. We need to make sure that we have scripture and verse. It's not about in my house, these are the laws or, or in my life, these are the rules. It's about what does God want from me? And we're not tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine and the slight of man and the cunning craftiness wherein which they lie and wait to deceive us, right? That we're rooted up in something. That, that our beliefs aren't whimsical based on who's speaking which Sunday or what we've heard on the radio that day or what we've seen on Facebook the other week. But that we spend our time investing into what he said and that we understand that to live this life, it's not just about the food that we put into our body, but it's about the bread of life that we continue to break every day with our God. That we need to be nobility like the Bereans. Nobility, royalty in the sight of God because they receive the word of God with all readiness of mind. And they search the scriptures daily to see if the things they heard, that they saw, that were preached to them were true, right? So as we prepare our heart, as we prepare our ways... Let's go to the scriptures and we need to build a foundation. And then as we build a foundation, what it'll do, whenever we get into the situations of life, we, we just dig those back up. Whenever we get into argument, uh, I tell this to a lot of people, one of my favorite scriptures, because it's one of the ones I remember from my childhood. My mama would tell me all the time because I was a hothead. A soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up strife, Proverbs 15 and 1. And you know what? I got tired of hearing that. Because it was easier to pop off. And mama tell me, son, I've told you, if you'll just calm down and answer softly, you probably won't get into fights and you probably won't have this trouble and your dad ain't going to have to whoop you again and all these things. And you know what? The more she programmed that into my heart, the more it's, it's one of those things that sunk in. Now, I'm not perfect at practicing that, but I remember the verse. I can go back to it and know where I went wrong sometimes and sometimes that's what it's about. Knowing that word. And we can sometimes head the problems off the pass. And sometimes we can just come back and fix them because we know what we've done wrong because we've read it. But even when we become strong in God's word, we need to keep going back to him to rely on him for strength. In Psalm 63 and 1, he says, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. A lot of people like Isaiah, a lot of people like you and me, we can grow strong in his word. We can practice it all of our life, and we can forget to go back from whence the power comes from. 
And we need to spend a lot of time in prayer, a lot of time in thought, a lot of time in reflection and examining our own lives. We have opportunities every first day of the week as we stand around and we look at the one who lived a perfect life and shed his blood for us to examine why that blood had to be shed because of my life, because of your life. You have an opportunity every day to self-examine and reflect and go back and talk to God about where you've messed up and, and thank Him for the triumphs He's helped you with so that we don't get puffed up against Him, so that we don't think that we're strong enough that we can just step out on our own, so that we won't become too smart that nobody can teach us. We need to stay humble before Him and continually seek Him even whenever we're strong. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 7, he says, Refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself rather in a godliness. One of the things I consistently hear as I'm talking with people, especially out in the world, is, oh, I know the Bible real well. I've read it five times or I've read it this many times. And, you know, and, and I'm not mocking people. I mean, a lot of people, that's an accomplishment. I mean, it really is. I'm glad that they've read the Bible that many times. I'm glad if you've read the Bible that many times. You, you should be reading the Bible. You can know the Bible. You could know Proverbs 15 and 1. I could know Proverbs 15 and 1. But if I don't put it into action, if I don't exercise in it, then I'm not going to be consistent in it. If I don't take the little principles and you don't take the little principles that we learn and, and bind them on our heart and tie them on our fingers, then it's useless to us. It's just another book that we read. It's recreational. It's the credo of life. It's the instruction book for everything, all things that pertain to life and godliness, and we've got to exercise in it. You, you and I both know that exercise in the physical sense, is, as he's talked about here, exercise thyself rather into godliness, bodily exercise, profits little, right? Uh, but, I mean, he doesn't say it doesn't profit any at all, but whenever we exercise physically, uh, we become more fit. You know, we can run longer distances, we can jump higher. We can climb bigger mountains. We can do all kinds of different things the more we exercise. But if I work out and I exercise and I lay off the sodas for about three days, this is a legit thing. You know it's true. Lay off it for a couple days, and then I think that I'm going to be better in three days. It's just not going to be the case. I haven't accomplished a whole lot. But if you and I are consistently invested in His Word and putting it into action, we're just going to go stronger we're, we're, we're going to get better at warding off the fiery darts of the devil. We're going to get better at evading the attacks. We're going to get better at being able to make sure that we're doing for other people, uh, obeying things like the golden rule, looking for opportunities, preaching the gospel, being bold, whatever it is, we have to put it into action. We have to tell our heart, i got to get up today and i got to do this. Maybe it'll be something for you at this moment, at this point in your life, like working out where you have to tell yourself, i got to set the alarm and i got to go do it. I'm not going to put it off. I'm not going to skip leg day. We can't skip spiritual day. We need to be in, involved and on top of it and exercising, growing every single day. That's how we train our heart up. This is how we train our heart. You know, the untrained heart, it's super unreliable. It will lead us astray without fail. But the trained heart... You know what? I think we have a better chance of whenever we say, what does my conscience say? And making better decisions because it isn't your discernation. That's not a word. I know. I just realized that. You didn't make that decision. God made it for you. And he implanted it on your heart because you allowed him to. And he's directed your steps. 
In Proverbs 16 and 9, he said, A man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directs his steps. You get to make decision each and every day, one little decision upon every little decision. Is the Lord crafting those decisions? Your heart is telling you what to do, no matter what we think. So what have you allowed the Lord to be able to tell your heart?